Hey, welcome there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. I wanted to tell you that today we have a very different special kind of guest because we're going to talk about creatives. And I know many of you are that because when I hear from you, you talk about how do you do your work, be who you are in your own spaces, whether it's business or in a regular corporate environment or whatever. And I think when I introduce you to our guest today, you're going to find that he has a unique take on that. He's been very successful and we'll just dive into that. But let me start here by telling you that David Speed is the founder of Graffiti Life and it's a creative company that makes art of all kinds for big brands, both inside and out. And just so you know, David, as a heads up, when we come back, those are very intentional words and I have a question for you about them. And his company was created with the mission of empowering artists and creatives. And that is still the core value that they operate from today. So David has just launched a new podcast called Creative Rebels, love the name. And it debuted at number one on the iTunes business charts. That is a big accomplishment, especially for a brand new podcast. So David, welcome to the No Labels, No Limits podcast. I think you've been living the No Labels, No Limits life for a number of years. So with that, could you give a little more introduction to yourself for us? Sure. Well, what uh, an incredible introduction. When I knew uh, I was coming on the show, that was uh, one of the Parts that I was most looking forward to because you do amazing intros for all your guests. So, um, so thank you. Yeah, I mean, you pretty sum, much summed it up all in a nutshell there. Um, I started Graffiti Life in um, 2010 because I've been a graffiti artist since the year 2000. So uh, I've been using a spray can to create artwork for the past 19 years. And at the time of opening the business, I was feeling kind of disheartened with everything. Friends and peers were being sent to prison for doing this art form that that I loved. And it was at that point that I realized I wasn't 16 anymore. I wasn't invincible anymore. And things were starting to get sort of very real. And I thought the graffiti was such a, a positive art form because although I was reading in newspapers, these stories that were, were talking about all of the prison sentences that were being handed out, and they were using words like destruction and vandalism and all of these negative words, when we were actually painting in the streets and interacting with the public, it was overwhelmingly positive. And people were saying, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Love what you're doing. You're brightening up the area. So there was a disconnect there for me. And I realized that there was so... I mean, one of the reasons we're called Graffiti Live is because it did literally change my life. Um, the, The art form is so powerful. And so I wanted to do something positive. So that was why we started our business. We started in a, in a cold, old, broken down shed with, with no money, eating noodles and kind of scraping together the pennies to survive. And we've gone on to work with Disney, Nike, Reebok, Adidas, L'Oreal, eBay, Microsoft, BMW, Mercedes, like just so many global brands. And the business worked. Uh, we're, we're nine years in now and we've, we've created something. And so we've grown from a team. There was three of us in the beginning. There's now 15 of us. Um, the podcast was kind of born from that. Like, as you mentioned in your introduction, um, everything we do has always been around empowering artists and creatives. And so the podcast was, how can we do this at scale? We've managed to, to provide a career for 15 people, which is incredible. And we do want that to grow. But how can we sort of reach more and more people? And the podcast kind of like the, the obvious answer. Um, so that was, that was why we launched it. 
and uh, yeah, it's gone on to to do really well. So yeah, Creative Rebels on uh, on your podcast apps, you can find us. Um, and so yeah, yeah, everything's uh, going well, and it's uh, it's fun. So here's a question I have for you, and that is. It's interesting when you talk about how people are being sent to prison and the language around that, right? The destruction and all of that. Can you share with us how you or your community, and this may be a part A and part B question because I tend to ask really compound questions. So what I'm interested in understanding is when you were just starting out and you were 16 and you got your spray can out there, did you consider yourself an artist? Did you, what did you consider yourself within the realm of art? And did you always think of it as graffiti or was it murals? How did you think about that, I guess, is my question. Sure. I don't think I had enough self-awareness at that age to um, to really think about um, labeling and defining what I was doing. Um, I knew that I, I enjoyed what I was doing and I knew that I was breaking the law. So um, when, I, when I first started painting, there were legal areas around London where you could go without being um, prosecuted. Um, so there were sanctioned legal areas where I could paint without being tested by the police. But gradually, one by one, those were getting shut down. And this is the early 2000s in London, in the UK. And so at that point, I was basically presented with a choice. You can either stop doing this. And I, I'd fallen in love with the art form. It, was, I, it just grabbed me. I just loved it. I loved taking my sketches that were small on paper and then blowing them up like three, four, five times the size onto a huge wall. But there was something about that for me that was just magical. So um, at that stage, I'm presented with this choice of you can either quit because there's no legal places for you to practice anymore, or you can do it illegally um, and run that risk. And at the time, the rewards outweighed the risks. I knew that I was painting in areas where I wasn't supposed to be, but I was a very considerate vandal. I didn't, I, I never painted on people's property. I never painted on places of worship. Um, the places where I painted were, would be sort of abandoned warehouses um, the, the, by the side of the railway lines on old, uh, on old walls. And I guess it, I, it, was, it was how I found myself when I was younger. And through the artwork, as I started to progress, because I was rubbish when I started, I was, I was terrible, I wasn't very good. And just through relentless practice and determination to master this tool um, of the spray can, uh, I just put in hours and hours and hours. And as I got better, that was when I sort of started to realize that I could, I could do more because people were more receptive to seeing what I could do because they were looking at the at the strength of the artwork rather than the location in which it was placed. That makes sense. It makes sense. So you actually had to put in a lot of time to build your craft, if you will. Because the work that I show that you put on your website of the the art, the murals, the different pieces, it's astounding. And when I've looked and I've seen murals around in different cities and I just think, wow, because you know, you talk about your sketches, but then putting them up. And for me, when something's on a little piece of paper, that's one concept, but then you make it up there and big, right? That's just a whole other scale. So how did you move from the small things to working? First of all, how did you move from working at that level to where it became a business and people were basically paying you to break the law or giving you their walls and saying, hey, this is, come here, right? Yeah. I think there's this 
myth that, that people are born with talent. And I don't, I don't believe that there's any such thing as natural talent. Um, I think that anyone who is, is good at something, it's because they practiced. And sometimes if we enjoy something, it doesn't feel like we're practicing, but we are practicing. And I, I think there's this, people say you're gifted. I mean, I, I, it's very lovely when, so painting in the streets, you, you get into a lot of conversations with people. And because you can't avoid it, you're in public. And uh, so anyone can come up and talk to you, and they do. And so when I'm painting walls outside, people will come up and start conversations with me. And one of the things they say quite often is, you're so talented. And that's very sweet. And I accept that humbly. Um, it's really nice that people say that. But I think it took me, it's like, that was hard work. What you're seeing on the wall is, is 19 years of experience, of, of trial and error of failure, of, of um, experiments, of pushing past my comfort zones um, and, and just progressing. Um, and I'm nowhere near the complete artist that I want to be, um, which always sort of, people always think that's funny when they, they look at my work. But I think as artists and creatives, we're never finished. We're never finished. Everything is, is, um, is something that, that, we're, that we're working on. Um, and I, I mean, that's why I love the, the name of your podcast, No, no Labels, No Limits. It's we, everyone wants to label everything and it's a human thing and I get it. It's, it's so that we can understand things quicker and, and we can just sort of identify it as fast as possible. But I think people say, oh, I'm not artistic. So that therefore means that they're not creative. There's so many business owners that I, are, that I know that are hugely creative. They don't happen to paint or, or write poetry or whatever that we kind of deem, oh, these are creative things. I mean, Creativity is, is problem solving. And that's, that's where my creativity has come from. I've, I've seen a problem of how do I create this image? How do I make it as, as kind of dynamic as I possibly can? That's, that's creativity. It's a, it's a habit. It's practice. Um, and it's just something that I've worked on and cultivated over, over a long period. Because that's the other thing is people get disheartened when they don't see progression quick enough. And everything... It's, it's just having that blind faith of knowing if I continue, I will get better. Um, and, I, and I think and most people just don't have what it takes to just keep going on that track. Um, and that's part of, of my mission is to just tell people to just keep going. People who keep going are the ones that win. It's, it's simple as that in business, well, in art, in everything. Well, and the truth is, if you don't keep going, the one thing you're positive of, you're not getting anywhere. You're not going to ever have a chance of winning or achieving that goal, right? That's a certainty. You stop, you're done. So 100%. yeah, you might as well just, it's like, well, I'll just keep going. Who knows? And you're right. It cracks me up because I think about that. There will be people who I've known or have worked with and all of a sudden their organization or they are getting all this notoriety because they're having great success. People go, how'd you do that? And I'm thinking, oh man, I know their history. They've done it through sweat frustration, getting up, putting a smile on their face and going, this matters so much to me, I'm doing it, right? So talk to me a little 100%. bit about your partners because I know it's you and then you've got a couple other folks that you started the business with, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I know that I couldn't achieve anything that I've done alone. Um, so I have two fantastic business partners who uh, my partners in kind of everything that we do. So we have a, we have a couple of different businesses. Um, we have a, a sort of an alternative advertising agency. Uh, we have a tattoo studio, randomly enough, and, uh, and we have Graffiti Life. Um, and one of my business partners is my co-host on the Creative Rebels podcast. Um, and I think together, we, 
we totally have each other's backs in terms of what I'm bad at, the other two are good at, and vice versa. And we have this perfect triangle of of strengths and weaknesses. And so, so Adam's my business partner. He um, deals with all of our digital website related stuff, social media stuff, um, content, filming. He edits the podcast, tech minded. He's a very determined person and he's he's a learner as as we all are i guess we're all um we all realize that if there's something that we are not good at we can get get, get good at it and um, so adam will uh, religiously sort of dedicate time to learning about sound learning about um editing and and he'll throw himself into that and he's he, he does a great job um and our other business partner is yona uh, and she is, uh, so yona is a, is a welsh name and um she is She's the glue that holds our entire company together. And she is, uh, well, I don't even know where to start. So if ever there's a problem in the, in the office, in, in our business, or in any, any of our businesses, um, we, we pretty much look to her for the answer because um, she just seems to instinctively know. She just has a great mind for business and she just knows which direction that things should go in. And for me, I don't really do much. Um, I'm, I'm the, the loud mouth at the front who does the, does the speaking gigs and I interview the guests on the podcast and um, I paint walls and I guess I'm, I'm good at promoting and that sort of thing. But, but really, it's, it's those two behind me that, that do all the real, the real hard work. It sounds like you've got a great team and you've been together pretty long. When you think about it, an arc of a company, that's some, saying something. Were all of you in that shed eating noodles together? We were, yeah. <laughs> um, there was a few more of us in the beginning, but... Um, we always say that, that the business kind of is its own animal and it, uh-huh. it picks and chooses who it wants to keep and, uh, and people have fallen by the wayside. Um, but I think we were the one just always were steadfast and we had this belief because nothing happens overnight. And it was, there were some hard times in the beginning. I mentioned sort of our client list earlier. I mean, it wasn't day one, we put up a website and then all of a sudden Nike are knocking on our door. It, it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> Um, it's no a long, kidding. slow process. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. We've just so, been waiting um, for that website to go up. And the and the crazy thing is, is, is um, we all had wobbles at different times, and it was it was the other two that would get the one who's having their wobble would get them through it because there was a point. So, believe it or not, whilst I was uh, running down the railway lines, I was also um, teaching and uh, training to become a primary school teacher. And so there was one stage in the beginning of the business where I just couldn't see the wood for the trees. And I, I was half considering going back to, to teaching and I'd, I'd applied to, to do a, a course to, to further, further myself on that path. And all of the paperwork came through the post. And, and it was the other two that just sort of sat me down and said, look, this is, this is going to work. We just have to keep going. And for, fortunately, we did. And I, I listened to them. But literally, our, our company started, um, I mean, I hated it at the time, but it makes for a great story now, so I'm really happy it happened. But day one of our company, after Googling our business, because that's literally how, I mean, as, as business, we've just learned using the internet as we've gone along. Um, the first thing I read was print off business cards. So we printed some business cards. I took a canvas and an easel to a busy high street and just started drawing on a canvas and handing out business cards to people. That's, our, our business is built on that day. And I didn't want to do it. I was scared. I thought that people will not take this seriously. No one's going to pay for graffiti. And I'm not a good enough artist. I had all of the, the imposter syndrome and everything kicking in. But without that first step, 
if I hadn't have conquered that fear and gone out there and just stood out in the cold for, for nine hours, just drawing on this, on this canvas to try and grab some attention from people, had I not taken that first step, we wouldn't be here today. And I think that getting over those fears and, and holding fast in, in your beliefs is, that's what got us through. And I think a lot more people could get through if they could just hold on to that self-belief. And if you do have a good team around you that can pick you up when you're low, that becomes a lot easier. David, when you focus on artists and creatives and, you know, you talk about the empowering, right? How do you see that group, which can be a pretty broad and diverse group of people, artists and creatives, as you mentioned, how do you see that group differently and maybe not even differently, but how do you see their needs different than maybe if you were in mainstream education or something? How, would, how do you help and address folks who are artists and create? creatives by nature or, and by internal design? Sure. So I, I think through having the business for nine years now, um, we've been contacted many times by, by different artists, different creatives that have essentially asked, how have you done this? And I mean, so on launching the podcast at number one, one of the main questions that we've been getting, and we've been getting a lot of DMs and emails is, how did you launch your podcast at number one? And you can literally Google how to launch a number one podcast. All of the information is out there. Um, it involves learning about the, the um, iTunes algorithms. Uh, it involves um, building a network around you of influencers, quote unquote, of people who will share the podcast once it goes live so that you get an initial boost. All of the tactical information is out there. Um, people ask us, oh, how did you set up your business? How did you become successful in business? How did you get big clients? How do you price? All of that information is on Google. The thing that you can't just go and find is the stuff that's within, is the mindset, the determination, the grit. And those, I mean, there's, there's a, a heap of podcasts and books and stuff out, out there that can help with that stuff. Um, and I guess that's our aim. And I think, I think the creative people we focus on the product, of, on the art, on the craft. We focus on that a lot of times to the detriment of the marketing of the product. And they are an equation that go hand in hand together. You need, if you want, there's two types of artists. There's people who want to be an artist for a hobby and there's people who want to be a professional artist. And by, by proxy, saying you want to be a professional artist means that you have to make money from your art. And you will not make money from your art if you don't know how to market yourself. And I read in forums and, and on blog posts and stuff all the time, people saying like, oh, I don't, I like, I don't want to use social media. A lot of people just rule it out straight away. I don't want to use social media. It's, it's icky. And I don't want to ask people for money. Um, and I think a lot of it, is, it just comes down to, to mindset, understanding that, I mean, think about how many people I've been able to help just through letting them know that we exist. And that, that all comes down to marketing. So it's, it's so funny that, that how everything sort of ties itself together. But I mean, to, to help as many people as possible, we essentially have to sell them on the idea of listening to our podcast. We have right. to go, and, and how do you do that? You, you identify what it is that, that is troubling them and say, we can help you with this. So, and, and that's, that's been a journey of, of us of just discovering over the past nine years of, of running these, these creative companies. But I think that creative people do have, I think you get what you focus on. And a lot of creative people have in their heads this kind of limiting belief that I'm, I'm not a business person, I'm not good 
doing that. I'm not good at selling myself. And the more you tell yourself that, the more it will come true. So um, I think the, the problem that most creatives need is to just step outside of themselves and, and realize. And because what a lot of creatives will do is they'll just get an agent who will do all of that for them, which is, which is perfect. If you, if you can afford to outsource, then great. But if you can't, which I understand that for a lot of people, it's, it would be difficult to do that. It starts within and that doesn't happen again, as with everything, it's a long journey. But just, I guess that's why I love the podcast because every week it's just a little kick of every week, just one more little thing that I can learn, one more little thing that I can work on um, by listening to someone else's story and seeing, oh, that's how they did it. And then they can apply that to their own to their own uh, sort of studies and everything. Yeah, and even if you can afford to outsource everything, there is a there's a loss in that in in some respect because even if you don't want to do it long term, and trust me, there's a lot of things as a business owner I don't want to do them long term, but I do want to learn them. I don't want to have them be this bigger than life thing that I'm going. Oh my God, how do you edit a podcast? It's like, well, like you said, you get some information, you get some lessons, and you do the best you can, and then you get better. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, and then you're going, when someone says, Oh, this is really technical, you're going, Not really. <laughs> it's not that tough. Right. But you don't know that unless you push yourself. And um, so I do think that that's really important. And I do know, like, I mean, how great that you had the three of you where you're talking about you have like when one person was down, the other two could be there. It's harder, but not impossible when you're on your own. And how, how would you suggest to a creative if I came to you? Not likely to happen with my art, but I, but I do consider myself creative and said, what do I do with this? But I'm feeling down. How would you help me or help me think about creating a community around me that would support me in that way that you've been lucky enough to have around you? Sure. Well, I'm, I mean, Sarah, I know you are creative. I've seen your coloring book for a start. So <laughs> I know you, you're definitely creative. But um, I think I would say that, I mean, first and foremost, you need to be your own cheerleader because if you don't believe in your work, then how do you expect anyone else to? So it's understanding that you have a good product. I think that as soon as you get to the point where um, other people are liking and appreciating your work, you don't have to be a master yet because everyone's on a journey and I don't feel like I'm a master. So, because I was talking to a young artist about this recently and she's a tattoo artist and she's doing great work and she has she's building quite a following on Instagram and she's getting clients she's getting book people are booking her in and she is tattooing them and she was complaining to me about how she's not not good enough yet i'm not a good enough artist imposter syndrome and i said well I grabbed her phone and was like, right, let's look at your Instagram feed. So we go to her Instagram feed and she's following the best tattoo artists who are all 10, 15, 20 years older than her that have a wealth of work in their back pocket that has brought them up to this stage. And I said, every day you wake up and you look at your Instagram feed and you're looking at people who are further along in their journeys than you. And then you look in your sketchbook and you say, I'm not at that level, so I'm not good enough. However, you are at the level where you have paying clients. They want to give you money to make art that's going to be on their skin for the rest of their lives. I was like, do you not think that that is an endorsement? And she said, well, uh, well, yeah, I, I guess it kind, kind of is, yeah. And I was like, yes, it absolutely is. Um, so I think be your, be your own cheerleader and have self-belief, but then social media to build a following. Um, build a tribe around you that believes in what you are doing because the one strength single person has is that they are them 
they are on their journey. And so taking whoever it is that you are, finding your, finding your style, which happens through practice. And that's, that's one thing that a lot of artists who are sort of really, really early on in their career often say to me, is like, how do I find my style? Um, and that's just a case of just, just practicing and just experimenting. And you'll, you'll, you fall into it by, again, by keeping going, which seems to be the theme of this podcast so far. But um, by keeping going, you, you will just, you'll experiment and you'll find um, what works for you. And more importantly, you'll find what resonates with other people. Around the other day, there's this artist I follow, and I, I love this. I loved how he framed this. He's, he wrote, um, just reached 10K followers. It's only taken me three years. So happy. And I love that. I love that he framed it, that it's only taken me three years. Because most people, when you say to them, right, you're starting your art Instagram page now. In three years' time, you're going to be at 10K. They want it next week. And they're like, oh, three years. And that feels like a long time. I mean, if you're going to live till you're 100, then three years is a very, very short amount of time to invest into your career. And I think that we need to stop focusing on this instant gratification um, comparing ourselves to other people and just even if you've got a hundred followers that are interacting like that's that's so valuable and it will grow um if you keep going well and if here's the irony of wanting something that's bigger than you're ready for it can sink you you know so you have ten thousand people but you don't have that extra 15 years behind you or maybe a team what are you going to do when everybody starts reaching out to you and says i need your work you're going to be saying slow down just a little. I don't have the systems. I don't, I don't know. So, I mean, part of that apprenticeship or the 100%. self, it takes time. Sure. Um, I think that we, there's a lot of people who are searching for this viral. Uh, I want to go viral. And um, that comes with certain consequences. And one of those consequences is, or if all of a sudden there's eyes on your artwork um, or whatever it be, there's eyes on your craft because you've gone viral, that all of a sudden brings in people who haven't been following you and so they don't know, they don't understand you and they don't know your story. Um, so they can be very judgmental of something that they, they're not fully invested in. Whereas the people that you've grown gradually, one by one, person by person, they're the people who are going to stick with you through thin and thin because people like to write and so support you early on and they discovered you. And people love to say, oh, I, was, I found that band before no one heard their music. People love to say that. So those, your early followers and supporters are some of your most valuable supporters that will, will because they'll follow you through thick and thin because they want to be right. Um, so I think, yeah, I think going viral can have actually very negative uh, consequences because, because you're not ready for it. And you're not ready for this sudden influx of, of um, eyeballs on your craft. There's a gal who actually I met her through the podcast, which is cool, like you, right? You get to meet and learn from people every week. But she, that's not how I met her. I didn't meet her because she was an artist. I met her because of her philosophy and how she approaches some stuff. But she's been sharing some of her artwork. And I'm thinking, are these sketches? Are these traces? Where the heck are these coming from, right? They're beautiful, but they're like, and they're evocative and they're different. So I says, can I please use these and share them on the internet? Because they're beautiful, right? They just gave me chills when I looked at it. But you know, that's that same thing. I will follow her forever because I know those things. That's her baby steps. I can't wait till she's like fully out there and going, oh yeah, I remember those. Those were nice. Those were nice. And they're beautiful. But I'm thinking, yeah, this just the beginning for this gal. So that's exciting. Like you said, you, you do stay connected to folks in that way. I want to ask you about some of your social 
causes? Because I know you work in other countries and you've done some work around the world to benefit or lift up voices of specific social causes. Can you talk a little bit about that work? And then how do you choose where you spend your time and energies doing that? Yeah, sure. So what we decided to do, um, so as I mentioned, there's, there's 15 of us um, working in, the, in our studio in Shoreditch every day. And so what we decided to do is um, split everyone up and give everyone a month um, of the year where they could run their own campaign. Um, because what we didn't want to do is kind of dictate from the top, like, oh, we, our Graffiti Life's charity is uh, whichever one, it's one for homelessness, and that's what we're going to focus on. We decided to do, okay, Everyone can choose a charity that they care about. We do quite a lot of advertising work. So we do hand-painted billboards. And it's a, it's a great product because when a, when a brand advertises with us through painting it, um, people actually interact with the artwork and they actually share it. And I think that's quite rare. People don't take photos of posters, but they do take photos of our artwork. So um, in terms of as like a, if a brand's interested in that, it works very well. Um, because it, it does the job that a poster doesn't really do anymore because we see so many. And so what we've decided to do is with, with some of the money that we get from advertising projects is kind of offset that and put that into some of the, the causes that we actually really care about. But we've given, like I say, each, each member of staff has a, a space of time where they can do their own campaign. Um, and so we've done some, uh, some amazing campaigns. Um, so we've worked for the World Wildlife Fund. And we painted this gigantic tiger in Shoreditch. Uh, it was one of our most sort of photographed and shared um, pieces of artwork. It went all over the place and uh, to promote the fact that there's um, less than three, I think it's less than 3,000 tigers left in the wild, uh, which is obviously a worrying statistic. Um, and so that, that was a really great one. Um, currently, one of our artists is in Brazil. Um, she's working on a highway in, in Brazil that is the most affected area in the world for child prostitution. And um, it's, it's such a fantastic project. We've just written a blog post about it, actually, it's, which is on uh, graffitilife.co.uk on the blog section. Um, and one of our artists, Sophie, is um, in Brazil currently, and she's working with some of the young girls that have been affected and um, creating just murals, bringing beautiful light and color into this, like, really dark, awful place in the world. Um, and hopefully through doing that, we will raise a ton of awareness around this area and around the charity that we're partnered with and that are kind of working to stop, to stop this. And so I think it's, it gives us a chance to, to give something back. It gives, I think street art is such a powerful medium um, that we can, we can really make people pay attention. And so, I mean, one of our, one of our members of staff did a, a project on, just on volunteering just on the importance. She's a volunteer every weekend and she, she gives out food at her soup kitchen. And so she, she did a, a mural about, about volunteering. We had a, a, one of our uh, other artists painted a huge wall for a mental health, health charity on Mental Health Awareness Day um, to promote all of that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's just a great opportunity that for us to, um, to actually do something about causes that we care about. Um, but it is... It is hard because <laughs> there is so much that we could that we could be doing, um, and we do get contacted by charities all the time. And this is this is the difficult thing, and you have to you have to weigh up your your time because at the end of the day, we are also running a business, and we do have to make payroll for fifteen members of staff every month. Uh, we do have to pay our rent and keep the lights on. So um, so it's very difficult because because if I had my way, we probably would just be doing charity wars seven because they're 
They're the most fun. We get so much interaction on them and, and you can see how much they help and affect and move people. So yeah, we, we'd like to do more, but we, we do do what we can. We, we definitely do the most that we can, which I'm, I'm really proud of. And I'm yeah, proud of all the guys for just, just getting motivated behind this because it's, it's an awesome thing. I think that's pretty fantastic that staff get to drive that, your team gets to drive that, and in the creative and what matters. The other thing is maybe what would be so cool is because a lot of foundations fund stuff like that. Someone would say, well, money, you should be paid for doing that work. So we will pay you like one of your big clients and you can go work with these charities. So if you're out there listening to this podcast and you're a foundation, especially in the arts, I think you ought to ring David up and have a chat. Or maybe as business partners, I don't know. It depends. But, um, <laughs> but I just think there's opportunity right? And maybe people haven't thought about, that's for me, that's like my brain starts going, no, that's not a barrier. That's just a limitation yeah, sure. right now. But that's cool. So we have worked with, we have worked with big companies who have supported stuff like that, which has been great because um, that is the best of both worlds because then they are, they're helping artists by, by funding uh, and they're also helping, helping the charity. So um, we did a big project with uh, the Bank of America. Um, and I know there's, there's a lot of people have, I mean, there's, if you look into any company, I'm sure you can find things that you don't agree with with, uh, with certain companies. Um, but I am more than happy to accept Bank of America's um, money if I can take bad money and turn it good. No offense, Bank of America. But, um, but if, I can, if, I can, uh, if I can help artists um, like using their CSR department's corporate social responsibility um, to create art- artworks, to brighten up towns, to do community regeneration, um, to help any any number of charities and, and events, then I will absolutely do that. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that we that we do look at and we are involved in. I think that's fantastic. So I want to circle you back to something you said in the beginning about how here you are, 16, you're making a choice between breaking the law or stopping what you're doing. Has the conversation around graffiti changed over these past 19 years? Are people still being called vandals and destructive people? Or is any of that changing? Um, it has changed massively, I think. So when we started the company in um, 2010, street art was a very, very new term. And if I went back in time, I might name our company something to do with street art because I think it more accurately represents what we do now. But I mean, I, if I named the name. I came from graffiti, so and it, it has changed my life. But yeah, I think that this, this new term street art was kind of ushering in this acceptance of what the artists were doing. And then the graffiti labels started to be used just on the, the kind of tagging and, and stuff like that. So, um, but there's, there's certainly been, I mean, you can buy coffee table books with graffiti and now it's, it, it's gone mainstream, I guess. There's, there's just so, it's, it's a printed onto coffee cups and I mean, it's just, it's used everywhere. And it's, I mean, we're now able to make our living doing it. And um, so it's massively changed. Um, when I, when I first started painting, graffiti was not a career option. There, there just wasn't a market for it because I don't think enough people understood it. I think the internet has, had a, has played a massive part in that. So I started painting in 99. There was an internet, but it wasn't, it wasn't what it is now. Um, and so those, through those early sort of 2000s, when people started to get on forums and things like that, that was when the art form started to evolve because we were learning from online rather than just what was around we were seeing in front of us and um, because in the beginning we were just learning from other artists around London because that was all we could see so I think that form evolved and became more complex and the artists pushed themselves further and started competing globally rather than locally everything moved on 
public acceptance changed and more councils and local areas started to be more accepting of it. And um, certainly there's, there's areas all over the world. There's, there's um, Wynwood in Miami and there's Melbourne. There's, there's definitely cultural hubs that um, totally street art and graffiti and they encourage it because they know that it brings in tourism because people go to take photos of the artwork. Um, so it's, it's changed massively. And had it not changed, I don't think there would be a market for, for this. I don't think our clients would want to have um, graffiti painted in their office or, or would want to come and do a workshop with us where they learn how to do graffiti because it wouldn't be popular. So it wouldn't happen. But it, it, fortunately for us, um, I think with so many businesses, they just came about at the right time. I, I think if you, if you look at so many successful businesses over the years, I mean, uh, Microsoft is, is such a, a key example when you, when you look into um, Bill Gates' story of just happen, happening to start learning programming when there was a computer available in his library that he was able to go to and use. And, and just that, that perfect timing was, was what set up the business. For us, it was definitely a case of timing. I wasn't ready to set up a business when I was 18, 19, 20, but as the, the time of it becoming accepted and me being ready to start the business, the, the two coincided at the perfect time. I want to take you back to that time when you were younger. And if you were to meet yourself today and the younger David does not know any of what you know now, is there any kind of tip or encouragement that you would give him and his friends about how to just whatever what you know to be who he is what what piece of wisdom would you share yeah it depends how long i have with them <laughs> but i i think that your journey like every step that you take gets you to where you are um so i wouldn't necessarily change anything um because our our failures have made us stronger and we're and we're, we're no longer vulnerable in those areas where we failed in the past because we've been able to learn from our mistakes and adapt so I wouldn't necessarily want to be forewarning of anything that was coming. I think it's just, it's just a confidence issue and, and believe that if you keep going, um, great things will come. I would probably say do less of what you don't care about. Do what, what lights you up inside. I think what I know now is that like now I'm very disciplined and I only do what forwards me towards my goals. I mean, pretty much religiously. Um, I'm, I'm in love with the process of, of working. I mean, currently, as we record this, this is a, a Saturday night here in the UK, and I know a lot of people are out partying and drinking. I'm in the middle of writing a blog for Creative Rebels. So I'm in love with the process of with, with creating and, and helping people. And so I, I think I would say, don't waste time. Just crack on with what it is that you, that you know that you're meant for and just keep on religiously, relentlessly on that track. So David, I think on that note, we'll wrap. I want to encourage people to go and listen to your podcast. I'm excited about it. And I, when I looked at all the titles, I'm going, oh man, how come I didn't know about this? So it sounds really engaging. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to the two of you as co-hosts also. That's something I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, that'd be fun to bring in guest co-hosts. The other thing that I really hope people will do is go to your website, Graffiti Life, because you'll see just some of what they're doing and the pictures, but it is very inspirational to me. And I also just think it's kind of magic that I get to have my Saturday. So many people like are not, they're going, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm going, I have a podcast. 
right? It's like, I'm interviewing. What else would I be doing on a Saturday, right? It's snowing, it's cold. I'm interviewing. So I so appreciate your dedication to who you are and being real about that and what you're doing in the world, because I do know it'll make a big difference. There are people who need to hear exactly what you said today, and I'm one of them. So thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you like what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life. 